Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Walk Diaries. What's going on, man? Maybe we're both rusty because you're using a mic you haven't used in a while. I, I really haven't used this in a while. And I'm also like... No one else can see it, but I've got, like, the cast list pulled up in front of me on my phone, which I don't normally have in front of me. Like, it's a different type of thing. I'm also loving the Batman shirt that you're wearing right now. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Got a Battenson. The the new thing going on right now, if you look at the social media accounts for what is now Watch Diary, we only follow one account, and yeah. that is the Batman. So if you check that out on Instagram and Twitter, you will see that. It, it symbolizes something, much like Batman. It symbolizes this newfound mentality that we have on the podcast and yeah this is the first time that you and i have been back together since march i think we decided so, and sounds about right probably since quarantine started really like it's been a while yeah it's it's a newfound mentality it's a newfound energy that we have here and maybe it won't seem like it M- maybe our audience will feel like they're in familiar territory because it's obviously me and you talking about a movie but it's metaphorical. It's it's these chains, these invisible chains that I felt like were on me personally are no longer there. And I had a conversation with Jay about this too because he and I went through a sort of a transformation in the last, what, seven months or so as well? Yeah, it sounds right. We disbanded Sight and Sound, rebranded this thing, and maybe we end up talking about a lot of the same stuff that we used to talk about, but... It's not the same, even if you think it is, because if it was the same, then I wouldn't have any energy for it at all. Right. (laughs) Because that's where we left off. I didn't want to do it anymore. And the fact that uh, we're back doing this here on uh, on this podcast feed means that something has changed, and uh, I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, I knew that you were trying to find your groove again, if you will, and trying to find your feeling in the space, if you will. Like, the world had changed, and you were changing with the world. You know, things were different. <laughs> and I think that Much this... like an Aaron Sorkin script, I was... <laughs> yeah, much like uh, Aaron Sorkin, who we might be talking about today. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it just felt like you were finding yourself again in a, in a different way that you hadn't in a while. And, you know, that sometimes you need that in the space. You need to find that fire again. And... You know, I think you did it. You you found a way to do this, and here you are doing it all over again. I'll, I'll correct you only because... I probably deserve that. I'll correct you only because it wasn't that I was 
searching for my place in this space. I was searching for the way out. <laughs> yeah, that's that <laughs> like, sounds right. The term "the space," which I've used frequently over the last few years, is something that I hope to never really do again. And that's because I've completely distanced myself from. I don't even want to know what people think about things. You right. know, like Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get a glimpse of what critics think about a movie. But other than that, like I don't want any any pressure. I don't want to be tainted by anybody else's voices and opinions. I think one thing that we kind of always did is we always like to record shortly after having seen the movie, um, and, and we're certainly doing that. I mean, we literally just hit stop, I think, uh, together on this movie, and we're ready to record this. So Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think we're going to find out, or I don't know, maybe we already know how we feel about this movie, but uh, I'm excited nonetheless. And like I said, maybe, maybe the conversation won't feel different to people and that's it's not a bad thing i mean i want people to be here because they like us and like hearing us talk about movies and things like that but um it's watch diary now it's uh it's gonna be fun i think it's a new frontier man and if if people haven't there is like a 10 15 minute announcement podcast that i did a couple weeks ago and to be fair this is so like spur of the moment like i didn't even really know that this would be the first podcast i remember when we were working on movie house I think there was like a decision at least a week out that we were like, oh, Joker is definitely going to be the first episode right. of Movie House when we were doing Schmoes. No, I just kind of remembered that this movie was coming out and was like, we might as well just have a conversation about it. The The first planned content that I had was Mandalorian, but we're, we're two weeks early and, and here we are. Yeah, so, I, it was funny because you and I had both like been casually talking about the fact that you were doing this again and – Trials kind of been playing theatrically, I guess, in some places. If you're lucky enough to have movie theaters, um, apparently our AMC reopened, by the way, which I have learned. Not only that, but my boy Austin Burke has gotten so big on YouTube that he gets Netflix screeners now. So that guy oh, saw this movie, I think, like two weeks ago, maybe yeah. <laughs> with the screener. Yeah, that sounds right. Super jealous. So, you know, we kind of brought it up and it was like, hey, we should probably talk about that, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say at this point, you know, no spoilers or anything, but pretty much a front runner for best picture at the Oscars probably this year and at least the Oscar race because the Oscars are going to look real different no matter how you want to cut it and so this felt like maybe the first major Oscar film of the year and it's another Netflix release it definitely feels that way and we got lucky too that this is the movie that we get to talk about on our first podcast back because not only is it just genuinely good yep it also just had a buzz about it and we haven't buzzed about anything. Like, no. there was Mulan buzz, but it was, like, steeped in controversy. And and the rest of the buzz of the past few months has just been about whether a movie is going to be released or not. Right. We kind of didn't have to worry about this at all. We just got to – it was like a, it was like old times. I know. It, it really was. was. Just we're, just, nice. we're just excited about an Aaron Sorkin movie. Yeah. And we're excited that it, it's a prestige drama on Netflix because we we got more of those, especially in the last year or so, and they're exciting. But even a movie like The Devil All the Time, mm-hmm. which is like something I was somewhat interested in, and I still am. But I mean, remember when I walked down the stairs and was like, hey, did you plan on watching this movie that has Tom Holland and Sebastian Stan and Robert Pattinson? And um, I think... To this day, we still haven't watched it. I was going to ask you if you'd watch it yet, because I know I definitely haven't. And that's not like a slight at the movie, but like I've got other stuff going on, whereas – so it's not a priority? Well, it's a, yeah. As it's, weird as that sounds? It, it, it Yeah, which is kind of like – I guess my ultimate point is that 
we're, we're finding energy here, but I didn't yeah. have it even like a couple of weeks ago. But, and, and something right. that notable, at least to us, because it just features a ton of actors that we like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was easily accessible. We didn't have to have the theater conversation. And even that, I was like, you know what? I probably just had to be in the mood to watch that. And, yeah. I, and I haven't been. So the trial of the Chicago 7 is really the first time that I felt like back at home totally. in a while. And it all kind of just kind of happened so fast. Like I said, spur of the moment that we're here to do this. And I'm also lucky because I know you're a massive Aaron Sorkin I fan. I love Sorkin. Not, not that I'm not, but I know that I am definitely not as uh, into him as you are. That's for damn sure. And it's funny because we actually get two Sorkins this weekend in a way, too, which is interesting because anyone paying attention to HBO Max, they also released their West Wing election special, which just dropped last night also. Oh, really? Which is the entirety of the cast coming back. They're doing an episode from season three, and they did it on stage, um, which is I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, obviously, because we we watched this this morning. But I'm very excited, I mean, to see all of them come back to do something like that because the episode in particular is one that had to do with the re-election campaign that they were starting within the show and, like, what election rights and stuff mean. Like, Sorkin has been huge in my life for the longest time because I watched the West Swing. I watched Sports Night. Right. Um, I love A Few Good Men. You know, The American President was a film that my parents took me to see at a very young age and it had like a monumental impact on me. I mean, Ryan, I know Ryan knows because he'll walk downstairs and I fucking have that movie on frequently. <laughs> um, so I've always kind of called that actually like the West Wing pilot, if you will, because like even Martin Sheen is actually in it and he plays the vice president. And like it, it was our first real glimpse at Sorkin kind of taking on the establishment and government at the well, time. You, you've also been watching Newsroom. And I've been watching Newsroom again because I know you came down and I, I've i been re-watching Newsroom. Yeah. So, you know, I, I even have a soft spot for, like, Studio 60, which only lasted a season, and mm. obviously Molly's Game, The Social Network. Steve Jobs is arguably maybe my favorite film of the last decade. Right. Um, and most people don't realize, like, how much I love that movie. I they, do, they do if they paid attention to our top 100 of the decade. That's list. true. And he, that, and was I it still top love. five? It was. It made top five, I think. Yeah. Or at least Something top like ten. It. Yeah, it was definitely top ten. But we, I think we got it in the top five. Cause I was going to say, I, I want to say it's three. Yeah, that sounds right. Because <laughs> I think that and Social Network were both at the top. Right. Um. Right. So, you know, there's no love lost between me and Sorkin with anything. Like, I've loved the dude for a long time, and I know that's contentious on the internet space because uh, a lot of people love to fucking go after him for whatever reason none, none of that yeah none but we're not going to talk about that <laughs> because we're going to love on aaron sorkin and i'm happy to report at least i don't know about you but trial the chicago seven like hit all the boxes i think so too uh i i, I definitely i definitely agree with that steve jobs was number four number four but okay. it is you know two aaron sorkin uh films in the top five of our top 100 of the 2010s list which you definitely can revisit on this podcast feed and letterboxd but it's on the movie house letterboxd i want to say that molly's game even was an honorable mention in our honorable mention actually list. you know i don't think it was, was because it not? uh just from personal experience i have not watched uh that movie in its entirety and i was oh, definitely okay. going to talk about that i want to talk about molly's game because it was his directorial debut totally and this is his sophomore effort but i also want to talk about a few good men oh of course i watched that for the very first time in my life 12 hours ago did you really yeah i thought i heard you watching it i wasn't sure um mm-hmm. i i didn't know if it was your first time watching it or not but it that's was. awesome 
It was. I, I figured, why not go back to the beginning? It's a great excuse to watch a movie I hadn't seen before. Yep. Go back to the very first uh, movie that he had written. And it, I, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't seen it up until this point because I don't know how I can call myself a massive Tom Cruise fan without having seen it. And I'm really glad that I did just because there are obviously so many parallels totally. um, in terms of just how the DNA of this movie that we're going to talk about, uh, not that you know the same DNA isn't spread across all of his movies, but right. you know it's it's very quite literally. Um, uh, he loves it, the trials, right? The trial stuff, all that, and you know, the, of course, we have like the shouting matches and all that kind of stuff uh, that that comes into this, and and so I'm excited to talk about that too. But uh, and by the way, I love the movie. I thought it was. Yeah, great. I was going to say, yeah, did you enjoy it? Because big fan. Yeah. Uh, so. I, have you seen the American President also or no? no? So what's the movie that we watched with Kevin Klein last year? Dave. Okay, <laughs> came out around the same time. Okay, very I different. Just, I was just making sure that I hadn't seen an American President. Yeah. So <laughs> it actually ended up being Sorkin and Reiner again. So okay. Reiner directs it and Sorkin wrote it. Um, if you get a chance, check it out. Okay. I think you'd like it as much. And it's his second movie. Right? And it was his second movie. Yeah, I, I should get on that. I, I've also revisited Social Network this year. Oh, so uh, Moneyball so. is now on Netflix, yep. which I watched. I'm, I'm pretty sure I watched it here. So I've, I've definitely watched Moneyball in the I last year. I think we year. definitely watched it at yeah. least once. Um, so anyway, I, I guess I'm sort of in a Sorkin mood. So American President might be next. Yeah. I've, uh, it just, it's hitting the spot right the, now. Charlie Wilson's War was another one that he did. Tom Hanks, yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julia Roberts. Um, he's got some good ones. Uh, I, I think that... Charlie Wilson's is arguably my least favorite of them. I think that the energy feels different than a lot yeah. of his other ones. Who directs Still, Charlie Wilson's War? Oh, I could tell you. I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say it's actually someone notable, too. Mm. Uh, give me just a second. I was going to say, I definitely don't remember. Um, I, uh, But, yeah, I I just kind of like love. It was so weird to watch A Few Good Men last night for the very first time, like I said. because Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. It's a. It was a Tom Cruise that I hadn't really seen in a totally. while. <laughs> you know. Well, he's really acting in that movie. I know. Like he's crushing it. He's fucking incredible in it. Yeah. And it look, that's not a dig at Tom Cruise because you and I both right love the Cruise. It's just it's just been a while since he's done anything like that. No, because he he became the action guy. Which, dude, don't get me wrong, he fucking kills it. Right. But I do miss when he would do like that an interview with a vampire and you know really kind of sink his teeth into stuff like even far and away not a necessarily great great movie but like he's real good in it yeah let's talk about molly's game for a second so this is a movie that i watched uh, a couple of years ago and i was definitely excited for sure totally knowing that he wrote it but obviously knowing that he uh directed it as well and it was it was his first outing and i was a little concerned about trial of chicago seven because i remember Watching Molly's Game, maybe not in the greatest context ever. Sure. Molly's Game is very much an Aaron Sorkin thing when you watch it. But I think to this day, I don't remember finishing it. And it sounds silly to say, but I think I had maybe very little of the movie left to watch. I was watching it at night. And I remember just feeling like it was always running at 100 miles per hour. And, And that's the thing that we know about Aaron Sorkin. Yep. Is that... Everything is just written with such a propulsion that in an energy, and it's one of the best things about him yep. is how interesting his dialogue is and how fast things are when it happens. 
But I remember that just kind of being coupled with the narration and I think just the context in which I was watching it. I think I was late at night. It kind of like exhausted me. I could see that. It, it felt like when you listen to like a super like a heavy fast song, even though the song might be three and a half minutes. I've made this comparison before on the podcast, I think. But when you listen to a fast metal song that's just as long as anything else, it, it it's relativity. It feels totally. longer <laughs> because you've listened to that much more music because it's moving so fast. Um, and that's kind of what it felt like. And I remember just being like exhausted and not being able to finish it. So I was just hoping that I didn't have that same experience here. We watched this earlier in the day. And um, so maybe it was bound to be different nonetheless. And But yeah, that's it's, just what I remember a lot. It's about really watching. interesting you bring that up because I think that you're not the only one who feels that way because I think that Molly's game got knocked a little bit by critics and stuff like that for that reason and you know some people didn't think Sorkin had been a real strong director yet like he was still feeling it out although I thought for all intents and purposes it was one of the better you know freshman efforts from someone that I could I, I agree it's not at all like we ever had a conversation about oh Aaron Sorkin definitely can't direct stick to screenwriting you know right. like none of that exists and that's not at all what I'm no no it, right. right and it's funny because you know, you brought up Moneyball, and I think Moneyball is so interesting because I'd say that of all the movies, that's the one that feels the least like his because I think that movie's I agree much slower, like much more methodical, much more paced. Like I think so too. The the admiration and the the love of like being in a workplace, like yeah. the, the way that he does, like that was very Sorkin. But just simply put, the tone of that movie Absolutely. doesn't necessarily pull out. What other directors get out of Sorkin, which is totally fine because Moneyball is great and uh, so much uh, fun to watch. But oh, totally. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, so with Molly's game, it was interesting for him because, you know, obviously we'd seen Fincher do it. We'd seen the aforementioned Rob Reiner. Yeah. We'd seen uh, Mike Nichols and mm-hmm. then why I'm blanking on the dude who did Moneyball. He also did Foxcatcher, that guy. He directed, you know, so we'd seen filmmakers and people similarly – take on his scripts before but to for molly's game to see him taking his own shot at his own script is very interesting and i thought that it actually ended up being pretty fantastic in that regard bennett miller bennett miller should we you. should we be qualified to host a movie puck <laughs> i i mean he's only done a couple of things you know <laughs> Moneyball 34 on our top uh, yep. 100 list as well <laughs> so you know sorkin made it three times in the top 35 yeah that that just goes to show it may be more and I of know. course i i didn't bring up danny boyle because steve jobs oh, right. is obviously danny boyle like we'd seen different people do it and so then for him with molly's game to come in and be like hey now i'm gonna take my own shot at it and he kind of pulled from everyone who had, mm. he'd worked with in the past like you could tell there was a little bit of the fincher there was a little bit of this of uh, the Boyle, a little bit of the miller but it was kind of to his own vibe, and I think that that's where you got exhausted with it. Was right. he just let that thing fucking go? <laughs> and it, you know, and and to be fair, it's not that he doesn't do that again with Trial of Chicago Seven. I mean, right. that thing is off and running at the beginning Real of the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not to his detriment. I mean, I no. think it definitely works. Has he directed? Okay, so I'm. I find it curious that he hasn't directed television. I know. 
That's that's what kind of blows my mind. I had to double check. I was like, oh well, maybe he directed like a random episode of TV here and there. But like the fact that these two movies are the only thing that he's directed, it's kind of surprising to me. It is, especially like Newsroom. Right. I thought for sure when he did Newsroom, he was gonna do the pilot for it at least or take a crack at doing the finale and he didn't do either of those things which was super surprising to me and now he's saying that he may never go back to television um after newsroom which is so strange to hear from a screenwriter in 2020 it's very odd which i i also kind of wonder if this might be one of those things where he'd also be looking to do like Maybe he doesn't look at doing a miniseries as television. You know what yeah. I mean? So maybe he's done with the long-form series because obviously, as we all know, like after West Wing Season 4, he was no longer involved. Right. And Newsroom ended after three seasons. And, you know, Studio 60 took a dive after one season. Sports Night ended after two, two or three. Like, he hasn't – outside of the West Wing, like, he really wasn't as successful on television as I think we – remember it right. for being it's just that the west wing was such a zeitgeist thing and i remember the newsroom being on and yep. it was definitely like heavily written about and covered and totally i think it was favored in terms of just viewership um uh, did it get canceled no or did they just say that it was going to be what three seasons it was it was three seasons and the last season they when they announced it because after season two, the ratings were pretty low, yeah. and so it was one of the times that HBO – like, it didn't really fit HBO as Sounds a like a leftover situation. Right. They're, we'll just do one more knowing that it's going to peter out. Right, and they did six episodes to wrap everything up. So, I – where was I going with that? What were we talking about? Well, we were just kind of talking <laughs> about how he oh, never television. directed until now. Right, 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 right. Um, I, I want to talk about – the cast of this movie for a second because Absolutely. it was obviously one of the big reasons why I was attracted to this. Sasha Baron Cohen on of my mind course. lately. I just rewatched Borat in anticipation for Borat 2, which comes out a week from today on Prime. Streaming, man. So excited about that. Jeremy Strong, one of my favorite recent actors from Succession, but he was also in another movie this year that was pretty good, was The Gentleman. He was also in Molly's Game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. What's what's funny about this cast in particular is that it's literally filled with maybe actors that I've outspokenly be un- been underwhelmed by. Sure. A handful of them. So I want to run down this and talk about the cast and have this conversation because it's really about why I'm an idiot. <laughs> so, so, again, a handful of actors that I've either just disliked or been underwhelmed by make up this movie. The first one, and he's top build, is Eddie Redmayne. Yep. He's the one actor that I've legitimately disliked uh, over the past few years. I have not liked him in anything at all. He's great in this movie. And, and we'll definitely talk more about that. Uh, almost said Jeremy Strong again. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. I've never really just... I've always found him underwhelming as an actor. Never really felt like he was a good actor. We even talked about it in a Watchmen. I was right. just kind of like, okay, whatever. At least he can play Doctor Manhattan, who's more stoic and less, you know, human. Maybe, sure, yeah, buy it. Um, the other one is Mark Rylance, which is kind of more humorous in a way because I've been on record just spinning 
hot takes about how I don't think Mark Rylance is that good. And I think a lot of it comes from him taking the Oscar from Sylvester Stallone. But yeah. And maybe it's because I just don't like Dunkirk that much. But I've always just kind of been like, what? what's what's the Mark Rylance fascination with directors lately? And, uh, yeah, I, I'm an idiot because they're all great in this movie. And they, they've all sort of changed my mind with their performances in this movie. But I just couldn't help but feel like I'd been proven wrong so many times by Aaron Sorkin in the last two hours. Well, it's so funny you bring that up because, as you and I both know, and I don't know if I've ever really talked about this on the podcast much, I'm not the biggest Sasha Baron Cohen fan. Um, I th- yeah. You and I have talked about it privately, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, Borat didn't really do it for me when it came out, and he kind of got stuck in that spot for me because mm. he started – doing so much like that and like he's fine i think in talladega nights but i also haven't seen that in five or six years like i haven't really revisited it so when he signed on to this i was like really like of all the people that wasn't where my mind would have gone of anyone i wanted to see and he fucking crushes this like if anything i think he might be the best actor in the movie and that's pretty interesting it it could be argued i i get what you are saying about him just because I do think he is very flawed in terms of just the the products that he's turned out right. over the years. Like I think Borat is a masterpiece, and to this day I watch it and I'm just bewildered as to how a man. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean that's just how I feel about him in general. I'm, totally, I'm just astonished with his talent and his will. And I mean, I I think he goes for it. I think by definition he might be one of the best actors. Period. Just sure. because I don't know how an Oscar-winning actor stands up to acting face-to-face with a human being that's not acting and never giving up on it. It's like he just he, he just commits. does something that other people don't do. Yeah. And that's that's what the admiration is totally. for me. And The Dictator, I think, is I, – I hated watching that movie in theaters. Right. Um, I don't have an attachment to a lot of his projects. The uh, the spy that was on Netflix last year, which was a more dramatic role. I thought it oh, was I fine. forgot about that. He's good in it, but I thought it was fine. It's not like it really captures my imagination, if you will. So Sasha like Baron his... Sasha Baron Cohen's more of just like an entity to me, sure, as opposed to like liking his content the way that I like Tom Cruise's content. You know I, what I mean? I, right. I liked his cameo in Anchorman too. For what's that? That's worth. Yeah. Um, but I was happy to be proven wrong. Not that I should have doubted it. Again, to your point, like Sorkin is always proven to cast well and really put everything he has into the actors that he gets and Mm. you know this movie was kicking around for a long time because originally it was supposed to get made then the funding fell through and they lost most of the cast and then dreamworks picked it back up and got almost the entire cast back i think the only one who ended up falling by the wayside was seth rogan because i think seth rogan was supposed to be in this at one point Mm. um obviously because they had worked together on steve jobs right um and so it was just kind of interesting that as it went on, like, they ended up picking up so many interesting talents along the way, like Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne, who was, like, the one, I think, for sure, outside of Keaton, that kind of hung around yeah. every iteration of it. And so it was just – I followed it for a while because, again, it's kind of that conversation, especially now post in a COVID world, like, what are the studios going to want to spend money on because – the world's changing, especially in entertainment. And so a movie like this, 
doesn't necessarily get funding right away. I mean, Spielberg was the same guy who was like, I tried to make Lincoln, and at one point it looked like I almost had to go to HBO. Right. So this was, I think this is kind of one of those things where Trial got kicked around quite a bit. It finally landed at DreamWorks and Paramount, and then what did Paramount do? Fucking punted it over to Netflix. Which is funny because I heard that Sorkin was talking about how the money really wasn't budging. Right. And he had to sort of get creative with, like, the protest scenes and things like that. It's like, wait a minute. Why didn't Netflix? I didn't have the context with DreamWorks sure. and everything. I was like, why was Netflix stingy about an Aaron Sorkin movie? Right. And so, I mean, I just think that speaks volumes to where we are right now. And that's again, that's a, even a pre-COVID conversation, as you as you suggested, the fact that like they were so uh, stingy on on some of that stuff, but they obviously figured it out. Oh, totally. And Netflix got it, and they benefited from it ultimately. I, I, I'm so impressed by the actors that were unsuspecting that like it also kind of makes me it makes it more obvious to me that i wish uh joseph gordon levitt had a little bit more to do sure like a little bit more time to shine because i'm kind of just like walking away and like that's one of the actors i was going in for you know and he's great but oh he's great in the movie but he doesn't even shine as much as even like keaton does and keaton has far less time dude keaton crushes like i mean he didn't have he didn't have half the time that Joe no. Levitt had. Um, and Jeremy Strong was almost unrecognizable, and <laughs> he was he was awesome. He's really good. Like I loved his performance. Mark Rylance surprised me mm. in a big way, not because I don't like him, but like you, I was super frustrated that Stallone lost for Creed uh, to Bridge of Spies, not because I don't like Bridge of Spies, but like Stallone was just next level to me in Creed right. in a way that I didn't think Rylance necessarily was. This is my favorite Rylance performance, I think, by far. Easily. Yeah. I was going to say, what's it going to so be? so likable. Re- what's it going to be? Ready Player One? Well, I mean, I do like Ready Player One. <laughs> I mean, not I like too, that but... performance. And then, like, he's in Dunkirk, right? If I remember correctly, isn't he the boat captain in Dunkirk? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the one that finds Killian Murphy. Yeah. I mean, I don't really want to talk about Dunkirk in any sort of way. And I guess if I remember correctly, he's finding it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember just... I'm indifferent about that movie. But Me too. I, I remember being indifferent about Mark Rylance as well. Right. So, so. I, you know, it was just nice to be, like, really into the performances. And I thought Eddie Redmayne, maybe his best performance since The Theory of Everything, because I really do like him in Theory of Everything. Um, this, this is definitely the my favorite performance, sure. period. It's it's the time that I've, like, just genuinely liked him. But also, like, even if I didn't like him, I would still give him credit. But this is uh, the perfect storm, I guess. No, totally. And I think it took someone like Sorkin to make him interesting and 
the one thing that I thought was so smart about his casting in particular, Redman gets a lot of flack for being not super likable just in general. <laughs> and it's kind of to your point, right? Like you've never really liked any of his performances. Right. So you give him the one character who's out of the group, maybe the least likable at the time because right. he feels like he's the one who's always all lives mattering the situation, if you will. And it's, it's funny that you say that. And, you know, may, maybe it's inevitable that we go down the the politic route here on this podcast. Yeah, I feel but like, like it. I feel like I don't know that it's all lives matter. I, I more I, meant just like all siding things and right taking gonna, that stance. I was gonna say he's just maybe the I don't know. It, it's not that I'm arguing against what we see in this movie, but I do think that he was a voice that was like necessary. Oh. Sure. He's the, he's the to quote the boys. He's the he's the canary that kind of okay. just kind of be there like yeah. Huey is to uh, butcher. <laughs> like, no, totally. Just to make sure that everybody's on the same page more <laughs> with the, their moralities, and maybe it's just important that he kind of questions it and is there to uh, force things into perspective. But um, yeah, like I said, maybe it's inevitable that we talk politics, or maybe we can avoid it altogether. But it was it was so eerie how relevant this movie is. Yeah. Because and, and maybe it was always going to be relevant, you know. It, w- it went into, or they were shooting it what like a year ago, I guess. So it was in development, maybe two years ago. So maybe it was always going to be relevant. But I don't think they could have guessed just how much. Though. What? Tw- yeah, they had no idea what twenty twenty was going to hold. No. And so the fact that I'm just like, oh my god, and that's that's what's crazy about. Maybe it's the the worst thing about it is that it just makes you think about the real world right now. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, instead of being like, "Oh, just what a great movie," Aaron Sorkin his sophomore debut. Like, there, there's that conversation, but it's also just like, man, I felt bad because it just looks like 2020. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. There was the sequence because it's kind of it's told in an interesting way similar to kind of how all of his films are like there's sort of a broken narrative to most of his movies and the way he tells things through flashbacks and through stories right. and how they tell it because Molly's game social network even Steve Jobs like it's told in three very distinct acts right and so this one we kind of see everything play out and we actually don't see what got them arrested to begin with until, like, the end of the movie. Right. But there's a sequence in the middle when you see the riots really start to break out that actually brought me, like, I started to get choked up because it was just, it felt so real. And I didn't realize how much it was going to hit me that it was like, holy fuck, we're still living with this. The the obvious fact that there are people rioting, uh, but there's also just, like, very specific language that... yeah. I've read about this year about police, whether or not they started the riots, whether they cornered people and yep. forced them taking the, their badges off. The one taking their, yeah, the one I think image that kind of got me was like, oh, I just saw this. Was it's a very quick shot of them pouring milk over their eyes yep. after the, and I was like, oh my god, I just literally saw that. Um, well, on and, Twitter, yeah, and then even to a point like the two guys two or three guys who keep harassing the girl during the protest. Oh God. Like, yeah. That felt so real to stuff we had been seeing, right. which leads to, you know, a very, a very traumatic moment for a lot of people yeah. in a lot of ways. Like it, it, Jeremy strong fucking crushes that moment, yeah, by does. the way. But like, there's so much in that sequence that I was like, Holy fuck. Like this is 2020. Like I've been looking at the news and this is what this is. Right. 
Did you know about this? Like, I we you knew kinda? obviously that the movie was in development, right? And that it was Trial of Chicago Seven. But did you have any context of the actual story? So, in, you know, similarly to like Watchmen in a way, yeah. I, this one I knew a little more of, obviously, because I feel like this was such a monumental piece of history in a way that you couldn't you couldn't almost not talk about it, I guess, right. in history and stuff like that. And so, especially with how it was tied to Vietnam, I think I had definitely heard parts of, but I don't think I ever looked into it in the same way. So I kind of had an idea. I was like, something happened. I definitely remembered what happens at the end. I had heard that. Right. About him standing in the courtroom and, like, reading the names and stuff like that. I had heard that, but... but the rest of it, I didn't know a lot about. What a great moment, by the way. Dude. I mean, I was just thinking about how that courtroom scene came together the way that it does and A Few Good Men. I mean, like yeah. I said, that that quite literal almost comparison, um, it just works. Yeah. Hell, <laughs> that, even Social that, Network. That rousing spirit at the end, it kind of – it's just like a big like sigh of relief. Yeah. Um, in that movie, in this movie in particular, I think it's more about just everybody sort of in the – whether the courtroom is divided or not, it's kind of everybody getting on the same page that they're totally. honoring these people, and that's why you know Joe Levitt stands up and um, just it's hit powerful. me. It just hit me harder than the end of A Few Good Men, which is also I think very pow- powerful. But um, yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing for me, and I kind of I tweeted this right after I watched it, was like. I'm reminded sometimes, like, how corrupt this whole system and how hypocritical it really is. And sometimes I think we just kind of let it go and we almost overlook it. Now, here's to say that it doesn't feel – like, right now it feels like there's a tide change. And I would love for that tide change to be change. We never know. History has proven that we tend to recycle moments in time and we go back and forth. But – I'm reminded also that it just takes a few people to, like, give power back to a sure. nation. And I forget <clears throat> sometimes, man. Like, I really do. Like, I, I think that we get so caught up in feeling like we're all kind of insignificant to it all in a way. Yeah. And I think that the government's done a great job of doing that, like, in a weird way. Like, I think that we are – even the, the media, to a point, has pro- been like – they don't – make it a point to be like go out and vote like your vote your voice matters like when riots start what do we see they all talk about the protesters being problematic versus we forget like if it wasn't for rioting we wouldn't have this country like right people standing up was how we got here. it's crazy that peaceful protest was very much involved yeah. in this like not just the term and the dialogue but the conversation around it yeah again was uh Right, and that's kind of my point, is, like, I think that at the end of the movie, I was like, holy shit, I kind of felt powerful again, because it was like, maybe we can change things. I, I mean, it was eerie and unsettling, just because it was so much involved in the conversation we're having now, but it's like, I think there are definitely things that I know are, like, right and wrong, or things that I would prefer to do or not to do if I was put in a lot of these situations, and, uh, sure, I, I just haven't been in really any of these situations, but... Uh, I think the thing that was like most frightening to me was the little subtitle card at the end when they were uh, filing through all the, you know, just, you know, where all the characters had ended up or the people had had ended up. And the the one that got me the most was probably 
the one talking about the judge. Yeah. When they were like, they said like 78% or 79% of attorneys said that this guy was incompetent. Yeah. And, and he, he should just, never have been doing that. And and he was in charge of this case and he was in charge or he was a judge for, you know, God knows how long or, well, I guess some people do know how long, but, um, I mean, that was the one I was just like shaking my head to your point. Like, yeah. it's, that's the kind of stuff that gets so scary and, and disheartening about the system. Dude, Franklin Jella, by the way, as the judge, this he I've always liked Franklin Jella. He's one of the all time great character actors. Obviously, like we look at Frost Nixon and movies like that, and even Superman Returns. He was a great Perry White. He made me sick to my stomach. Like, oh yeah, I hated this character. He's so good, but it's going to be one of those times where I don't know if I can look at him the same way again because he's just so fucking evil. Yeah. Like it's scary. I don't. I don't know if we talk enough about how well Sorkin, or maybe we did at least around social network, but how great he is at making us hate people. Yeah, because I mean, I felt that way watching Nicholson. Totally, uh, I felt that way watching uh, Frank Langella, obviously in this movie, and you know, even I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> it, but this says a lot about your journey when you're watching A Few Good Men. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't like the two uh, gentlemen on trial at first. Right. Because I'm, I, I guess I'm just gonna be biased towards Tom Cruise, and he walks in there, and those guys are just being, you yeah. know, they're, I, from what them. I saw, and we only saw in the point of the movies that we see one perspective of it, one side, yeah. and we don't see the entire story um, either. But you know, we don't like them at first, and yeah. then I wanted to, I wanted to punch those guys for half of the movie. You oh, know, totally. It's like well it, done. It's interesting because, in a big way, like. We, I guess we've kind of talked about it in a way with Social Network, too, but, like, a lot of the conversation around this movie while Sorkin's been doing press is he's been talking a lot over the last year or so about how he wants to do another Social Network. Right. And there's no better person than what you're talking about in this situation than him going back to Mark Zuckerberg because in a lot of ways, like, Social Network – did a good job of vilifying him in a lot of ways, but the ending almost feels too hopeful for that character. Right. And now with what we know about him and again, a courtroom setting, it would all probably be government based in his trials with the Senate and shit. 100%. Like what a perfect time for them to go back to that because he really is the villain of the piece. And so I'd love to see Sorkin go back to that because I think that there's more to say with that. And to really Zuckerberg changed the face of the world and didn't, know what to do with it in all the wrong ways like we you deleted your facebook recently (laughs) like the point because you i think you watched that social dilemma dilemma. right yeah and so we're reminded that zuckerberg had way too much power didn't know what to do with it fucked around and just blew it off basically and he kind of fucked the world (laughs) yeah so essentially you know i would love to see sorkin go back to that and i know that he's hoping that if he says the only way to do it is with Fincher again. Well, and, and I, I don't yeah. have a problem with that at all. Totally. I know that David Fincher is probably going to have to answer uh, to this more so as we get closer to Mank. Because, I mean, it's just the obvious question to ask. Hey, when are you doing Social Network 2? Right. Uh, Sorkin, I think, said he's like starting something like next month. So it's not going to be Sorkin's next movie. But I hope that uh, it's in our very near future because it yeah. is. it's just the perfect time for it. And, and I don't know that I, 
I think back in the day when the Fantastic Social Network was coming out, I think I just looked at it like, oh, would it be cool to see a movie about the founding of Facebook? Yeah. But ten years later. As time goes on, you realize how much more important that movie is. And, a, you know, a smarter person might have figured it out then, and the filmmakers definitely knew yeah. at the time. But that was my um, mentality going into it. Like, oh, this is just cool because I didn't know a whole lot about Mark Zuckerberg. And maybe I still don't, depending on how accurate the movie is. But uh, it's just how fa- it's just fascinating uh, what the it conversation totally is. is around around that. And um, and I think that trial makes the case, if you will. And that, wow, that pun was. Just, what a great thing to follow up trial with and main yeah. is if they came back together and did that so. because i think that as it he proves once again with this film like he really has something to say and he, sorkin like love him or hate him he he's got a pulse of the nation that i think that he feeds right. in the right way like there's a reason that we look back at the west wing so fondly like was it idealistic of our government yeah sure absolutely but like we wanted to believe that we could trust our government in that way. Like it's really concerning when I look back fondly on a fake president more than the current person in office. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. I think that it would be cool for him to go back to it now. I think he always kind of just knows he, he hits the right notes at the right times. And right. that's why I'm looking forward to whatever he does next. But like he proved with this also that he's kind of here to stay as a director. I think because I think that, Far and away, like, I haven't really talked about this. I think that this is a much better directed movie than Molly's Game, which is not a dig at Molly's Game because, obviously, I like it quite a bit. I think he ramped himself up and, like, went to the next level. And and now you you mentioned the Danny Boyle influence, too. I mean, I think so much of how Danny Boyle constructed, and maybe this was in the screenplay all along, so maybe how they both constructed a lot of those sequences. I mean, they really just crescendo. Yep. Based on the dialogue, and it's it's a conversation just cutting to flashbacks. I think very much about the scene between Fassbender and Jeff Daniels in the hallway the at night. Best scene in the entire and, movie. I mean, it is just building and building, and they're cutting away and arguing, blah, 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 blah. I mean, a lot of that was happening in this movie. You're going to uh, hang me, as aren't well. you? Yeah. No, I'm going to sit center court and watch <laughs> you do it yourself. I, oh, my uh, God. The way that those scenes were were constructed... Um, a lot of that's happening in this movie. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, when we start this movie, we, we're not exactly sure what happens. But once we sort of uh, uh, unravel the scene uh, at, the, at the hill, mm-hmm. uh, once we unravel the scene with um, Eddie Redmayne speaking to the crowd when that yep. uh, kid is getting pulled down from the – and then uh, what's his name? Rennie or whatever his name gets is hit. gets hit by the back of the head. like. All that kind of stuff, it moves very similarly to yeah. those sequences in Steve Jobs. So I, I love that DNA because it, even Molly's game is full of that too. Social network, obviously, again, like yeah. that's kind of how he's always written, and I think that's why I've always liked it. Like his he's got this interesting DNA of you don't show the full hand right. until the end. And mm. I think that's almost the best because you're waiting for that moment. You're always waiting for it. And that's why, like, with Steve Jobs even, like, so much of that movie insists upon itself uh, on being about the relationship of whether or not that's his daughter or not and how fractured their being is. Right. It, which that be- that ending is beautiful. Like, whether or not it's true or not, again, there's always going to be artistic license with stuff. 
But to your point, the crescendo of it all is kind of beautiful in mm. the same way that it's hauntingly scary in how he handles Jeff Daniels or even the relationship with him and Seth Rogen. Like, it's really kind of sad. Right. Sorkin's good, man. Like, he, he gets those moments. He gets, at least in, to me, his writing just pops in the right way. I agree. I really did enjoy this movie. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else uh, left to say on it, but I, I really did enjoy it, even though it didn't make me feel the best at times. I'm also thinking about the scene where they gag. Um, Dude. Yeah, yeah. We we really didn't talk about that at all, and I guess we probably should in a way, too, is like, boy, we've talked about a lot of 2020 feels scene. Yeah. That whole sequence, it, everything about his character is so heartbreaking and so frustrating because it just goes to prove how little we've actually come forward in any sort of time because that was still in the middle, like right during the civil rights movement era. And it was like this white old judge was just like a racist piece of shit. That line when he was like, no one's ever said that, like no one's ever called me racist before. And the other lawyer goes, well, uh, on the record, I'm going to be the second. Yeah. Oh, so well, good. The thing that's so frustrating to me, and not to sound like self, I don't know, overly righteous or anything, but I think what makes me so mad about him being like, what, 81 days in and still just telling the judge he's yeah. not being, like, there's there's another lawyer in the room that should be able to call that shit out too. like. Right. And you don't hear anything from it, which I know is the point, but it's like I, that's what I, I just kept screaming about in my head. It's like it's literally blowing my mind that the court proceeding just continues without right. it, like without addressing it at least. And, so, and Rylance tries. Right. And that's the crazy thing. Like he tries and that that's the same moment, I think, kind of to your point when he finally snaps. Right. But yeah, like just to see like Joe Levitt like smugly just like continuing on with the proceeding it's like you're the other lawyer in the room like <laughs> like figure it out he definitely and, starts and, to and, turn but and that's all yeah, yeah i was gonna say that's ultimately the point of the movie but again it's just like going back to what you said about how disheartening it is that, like this is just our real justice system <laughs> yeah and and it takes so much for joseph gordon levitt's character to flip the switch you know it's right like, god it, it's just so crazy man but i'm really glad that Number one, I'm glad we got this movie, but number two, I'm am I glad we got it now? Absolutely, because it feels yeah. you couldn't have asked for a better time for it to drop. Like right right before the election, right in the middle of all this kind of civil unrest and stuff. Like the country's at a weird point that you and I have never seen it at, I don't think, in our lifetime. Not quite like this. I mean, I was young when the Rodney King stuff happened and so I you know, I yeah, me too. I kind of vaguely remember it but never anything quite like this and so this movie kind of reminded me in a good way though too is like maybe we are standing up maybe the power really is still there maybe the change is happening in a way that we're hopeful for like it gave me hope but it hurt too because it reminded me that our whole system is just built on hypocrisy right without a doubt and i don't know I, I like that you found hope. I don't know. I don't know if that's the word I would use personally. Sure. I mean, the subtitles at the end for the characters, a lot of them were bummers. I mean, oh, uh, dude, the the Sasha Baron Cohen one yeah. especially, like, yeah, that to hear that his 
that guy in real life killed himself in 1989. It, it was just <laughs> like it, it. That was like contradicting or going right up against the that rousing moment, and so like seeing that just kind of like brought it back down a little bit. So I guess it just depends on what your biggest takeaway is with the ending. Um, but uh, I yeah. mean, I was glad that they said that Redmayne's character became like a justice in California and he was reelected like right. six times or something. So again, I think that there was some hope. And I think that the ending, the reason it gave me so much hope was like, you see the, and I mean, obviously the point Gordon Levitt stands up, the courtroom stands up. No one's listening to the judge anymore. Like, and yeah, again, it's a movie moment, but there was something in the idea that people stood up at one time together. And like, there was this moment of power shift that, right. And again, yes, I know it's a movie, but that stuff matters in real life, and a power shift matters, and art imitates life, and life imitates art. So maybe there is more to this than especially right now. You know what I mean? Like, the right people are going to see it, and hope. I hope it energizes them as much as everything else. Like, hey, man, the teenagers fucked over Trump with TikTok, so who knows? <laughs> Did you have to search for this on Netflix, or was it available? On the- I had already put it on my list, so oh, okay. it was yeah. literally right at the top of my thing when I came on. As a I'd search, I just roll my eyes. I fucking I was- hate Netflix for that shit. Dude. <laughs> I was just like, this is <laughs> – maybe this podcast is the same, because I don't know how many times I've bitched about this, but it just – it continues to blow my mind that this is the case. But, yeah, I had to search it's, for it. It's crazy. Is this uh, your favorite movie of the year? Yeah, easily right now. Because, I mean, it, it's interesting. I was actually looking at my list – as we were kind of getting on here and like arguably I guess there could be a case to be made that like Hamilton also is up there with me right now, but that's more like a stage production that was filmed. And then of course, Palm Springs and that was great. And Bill and Ted and uh, invisible man was really great. I'm kind of looking at it, but like the way back is still like right there and King of Staten Island, which I loved, but like not a lot has changed because for all the stuff that I've watched since we got off here, like Old Guard was fine and it's lower, and Mulan was fine and it's lower, and like Hubie Halloween exists, and <laughs> you know, it it's just weird, man. Like I look at this and I was glad we finally got it because it was nice to love a movie again and yeah. be like immediately be like, oh hey, it's going towards the top of my list. Like that, I missed loving movies, and that seems weird. But I miss it's true. 100% full circle. I I missed the buzz. I missed something that was this high profile. Yeah. Um I was excited for the conversation here and uh I think yeah, it, it was did good. not disappoint. I yeah, mean it was good. It's funny because I think about it now like the most high profile thing like you said outside of this was probably Mulan and Bill and Ted in the time frame since we've gotten off of this kind of thing. Yeah. And but, even like Bill and Ted, you're not going to have the same conversation we're having now. And right. I loved that movie. Right. And but again, like the Mulan stuff is just like there's just nothing excited about or, that excited me about even like talking about it. I still haven't even watched it cuz like that I knew that was going to lead down the conversation again about Oh, totally. home premieres and I was just like, uh, I'll just wait. Well, I mean until I I'll, I'll wait until I can watch this movie and only think about the movie instead of everything else, which yeah. I guess is December, but I mean, if you ever get bored, it, you know, obviously, I bought it so I could. It's on the Disney Plus. Oh, speaking of home premieres, you want to know what else came out? Uh, on I saw on Voodoo. What? What else? Is Love and Monsters? Oh yes, I really want to see this. I've heard gr- really yeah. good stuff about this movie. 
I really want to see it. Is is it uh what's his name is the lead? Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien. It's got Michael Rooker in it. Yeah. Um the girl from Iron Fist is in it. She's the co-lead. Like it looks dope. Yeah. Yeah. I, unfortunately it's $20, but um yeah. but yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, I I I really want to see this." Thing. Oh, the Craft so. Legacy is already out too. Sorry, I'm literally looking at Ryan's computer as he's scrolling <laughs> and, and seeing some of the stuff. I keep forgetting that the Craft Legacy's even happened or happening. Um, but I, I really want to see Love and Monsters. I'm looking forward to, you know, this is going to sound weird. I'm actually kind of looking forward to Borat 2 right now because I, you know, definitely am. Well, but you know me, <laughs> I, I like, yeah. So, and I know you are. And the most interesting one for me, which I kind of knew was going to happen. I did not expect the person to land where it did. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news coming to America too, is going to Amazon prime in December. Oh, really? Um, I assumed it was going to go to Netflix because I, you know, they're in the Eddie Murphy business yeah. right now. They're doing his specials. They're doing Beverly Hills Cop four and five. They just did Dolomite. Prime bought it. Prime flexed on them and got coming to America too, which is going to hit December eighteenth. Hmm. So there, there you have it. That's uh, another big release to look forward to. Funny, right funny how like the end of the year is like looking up for content. Even it's yeah. like, well, you know what it is. I think that the, all these studios are starting to realize, like, they're not going to be able to coast in the way that they've been trying to do. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that Paramount's kind of really circling at this point because this is they sold this. They just sold Coming to America. Like, right. I, I mean, you and I have talked about it before on this podcast. I've always pegged them as the next studio that's going to have to get bought by. Oh, 100 percent. And this just proved my point. Like, this should have easily been one of the ones that they held on to if right. they had thought. But instead, they sold it off to Netflix. Like. It's just one of those things. So I think yeah. we're going to see more of that in the coming weeks and months that there's going to have to be a shift where they decide what are the ones that they think they can salvage or write off in the right ways. Who knows? HBO Max is going to have to probably drop something along the lines here soon, too. Like, Warner Brothers is going to have to have something out. Like, they haven't done anything in a while. Right. The Witches is coming to HBO Max. Oh, right. There we go. I don't yes. know... Um... I don't know Rob what that Zemeckis. means. Yeah, I don't know what that means for, for this podcast because that that's going to be another huge uh, difference as far as uh, what <laughs> the things that we record about. Uh, there's no schedule. It's just literally when sure. uh, we want to do this uh, or when I want about. to do this or when So it's like I don't know what the next thing is. Probably a conversation about Borat two. Probably. A conversation about what's the other movie? Not the witches, but um, next week. Uh, that was Borat two. Yeah, um, Borat two, I, and I mean, then uh, Mandalorian, of course, yeah. is right around the corner too. So, but other than that, I'm I'm never gonna know exactly what's up next. Um, and if does if it I, feel if fucking I, weird that Mando is just around the corner? By the way, it feels weird just because like I don't know. No, nothing is. Yeah, we got a trailer. What like a month ago? Yeah, I mean but, they waited till the, they waited the right amount of time. I think, and it's, it's not really even a complaint. I mean, I guess we're, if we're just talking about buzz and I'm answering your question, it's like it doesn't. It just doesn't feel like it's really happening. That's that's um, it. I think more than anything, I mean, it just feels I mean, we weird. could talk about like whether it needs it. It probably doesn't. I mean, it it they could have dropped it, did it well at the Emmys, and yeah. it's it's gonna have its audience, and it was the biggest thing last year. So it's like I get it, but and Wandavision obviously in November, right? So. Anyway, we got stuff to look forward to at least. It's a nice feeling. Stay uh stay subscribed and uh 
I guess we'll see you on the on the next thing, whatever it is that we do. Probably going to be Borat too. Wear your fucking masks. Wash your goddamn hands. Let's get through this together, people. Where can they find you online? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram, PJ underscore Campbell, and you can find me over at the PJ Campbell Network where we do movie watch-alongs and stuff like that. Ryan, you uh, you hung out with us before. We did a goofy movie. Like there, We're over 50 watch-alongs now, which is fucking crazy since <laughs> all this shit started. And, you know, doing content, just come hang out, have a good time. If you're listening to this, depending on when this is going up, I think this goes up today, question mark? I might, yeah, maybe, I might as well maybe, put it up now. Yeah. Why not? If not, and you're listening to this past in the past, uh, I, I highly recommend you go back to the watch long. We haven't even done it yet, but we're doing a Conjuring double feature tomorrow night, which is Saturday. And if anyone's watched any of our horror watch longs to this point, like Chris Clark, our graphics guy is a massive scaredy cat and he screams at everything. Um, I'm going to have him fucking sign a waiver for this one. Cause I'm afraid he's going to die on camera as he watches it and have a heart attack. So go back, watch it. Um, the, the one we did for host, which is uh, another one. I don't know if you saw that it was on shutter. Um, no, I haven't seen it. very fucking cool. It's only it's about good. an hour and they made it during quarantine. It's super fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's 56 minutes. It's a real easy watch. Is it only on Shutter or is it's it only on Shutter? I'll give you my login. Okay. Um, but, dude, I tell you guys, I kid you not. I, there's a thread on Twitter where I took out all the moments that Chris Clark was screaming, and it's almost like 45 minutes long of him just <laughs> utterly terrified. At one point, he gets up and walks and stands in the corner of his bedroom like he doesn't want to come back to the computer. Like he's just <laughs> totally freaked out. It's worth it. Go watch it. It'll make you laugh. You, you deserve it. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at watch underscore Ryan underscore. Mm, that's all. Thank you, guys. Thank um, you. There's more stuff to come, and uh, I'll tell you when it happens. Okay, bye. <laughs>